0: Equal Housing Lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank.
1: at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What can you say about a stock market that's roaring despite all the craziness, all the, <laughs> the <laughs> lunacy of <in> your <their> face? <laughs> Dow surging 543 points. S&P soaring 1.95%. NASDAQ poll voting 2.59%. That was easy. We've got the possibility of a disputed election. The president firing off lawsuits in the states where it's closed. We're seeing more than 100,000 new COVID infections per day. Unemployment could be spiking as government-mandated COVID shutdowns loom. Does the market suddenly love uncertainty and out-of-control pandemics? Is that what's happening? Isn't that supposed to be the opposite of what's supposed to occur with stocks? No. No, I'm going to... We're going to blow some doors off here today. I'm going to tell you what's really happening. I think investors in this nutty time are starting to embrace a new way of looking at equities. We're hearing now, for the first time in my career, that stocks, stocks have become repositories of real value. And I know that's driving all the old-time professionals nuts. They don't want to hear that. We're hearing that the nature of the asset class is changing, and we need to reconsider what stocks might be worth versus other investments for the long term. In other words, maybe stocks are worth more than we thought. All stocks. If only because it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. And maybe everything else that we used to revere is worth less. Today I listened to Jay Powell, Ernest earnest smart Federal Reserve chairman, one of those monthly cops calls, explain how he'll do whatever it takes to keep the government going. He knows things are troubled, right? But he needs, and I quote, all of government working together, end quote. I wanted to laugh. I'd be like, hey, Jay, come on, man. <laughs> That's not possible. Nonetheless, Powell will do his, prop, his, uh, his part to prop up the corporate bond side. You know, he can work on that side of the table, bonds. The Fed's bond buying is keeping many companies alive in this environment. Let me put it this way. I mean, without Powell, you think the airlines, the cruise lines, you, you think they'd be trading? They'd be dead in the water. They would have they been in their third prepackaged bankruptcy, for heaven's sake. Have you seen the balance sheets? I, they look like they should be on death's door. But Powell's bond buying is taking away the balance sheet risk. If you're a troubled public company with public debt, this man is your guardian angel. Unfortunately, there's only so much the Fed can do. Their toolbox doesn't work for small, medium-sized businesses that I'm always talking about here because that's one of my causes, okay? And that's what Congress has to come in to help. The hospitality industry employs 14 million people who are hanging on by their fingers right now. And as it gets colder and COVID keeps running rampant, more and more of them will lose their jobs because they can't have a lot of people inside the restaurants and bars without having the viral logo too high and people getting sick. J-PAL can't extend his safety net to them, which is why our elected leaders need to step up in with another stimulus package, even as so much of the big part of the economy, as represented by the stock market, is doing so well. It's not the real economy, but it's the stock economy. Still, the Fed's far from powerless. If Powell wants to save the economy, he needs to keep interest rates extraordinarily low for a long, long time, right? That's his gig. But what does that mean? I mean, we always act as like, wow, I guess maybe bonds aren't so good anymore right now. Maybe they shouldn't buy them right now. Wrong, wrong. It means the bond side of the equation, long considered a fabulous repository. Remember that word, repository of wealth, has become a lot more capricious, a lot more mercurial, a lot more uncertain. Sure, the Fed may be able to provide emergency liquidity, but you barely make any money at all owning bonds. The risk reward seems okay for the moment, maybe. Although when Powell's done stabilizing things, I can't imagine a reason in the world why you'd want to be in any bond. So bonds have lost their luster as a repository of wealth, and it might be permanent. But what about the repository of wealth that stocks represent? I remember the day I first walked into Goldman Sachs, 38 years ago. I got schooled by someone who's now an old friend about the value of stocks versus bonds. Oh, I love stock. That's why I went to Goldman. I mean, I love stocks. I had all these tremendous ideas. I wanted people to to tell everybody about them. He let me go on and on until I named enough stocks to create a Jim Cramer index. That was before there were ETFs. Then he looked at me and he said, never mention those stocks or any other stock ever again, ever I, I lose. What, what the hell are you talking about? I love stocks. I, 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 I'm a global. I love stocks. I love, I love stocks. He told me, he said, let me, let me let you in a little secret. Stocks, they go down. Bonds, they don't go down. I said, but I, I could never make that promise. I wanted to make people money. This is goldman sachs. He basically said, no, I, I know what I was talking about, especially since the clients I'd be talking to were already rich. You only need to get rich once. All these people simply wanted to do was preserve their wealth. They didn't care about generating huge gains that I couldn't deliver on anyway. Okay? Stocks go down. Bonds don't. But what if if they actually wanted to own stocks, I asked. And he said he, he told me that I had to discourage them at all costs to ever buy a stock. Because if a single stock went down and they lost money, we'd lose the whole account. So I begged him, I said, well, what if, what if maybe let him buy a couple stocks. He said, make sure it's their own ideas. You keep your ideas to yourself. As it happens, I ended up doing both. I helped my clients stay rich, and I kept my ideas to myself. Specifically, I invested my own money. I made a fortune enough to own, own own hedge fund and then retire and do the darn show. That's my life's arc right now. It's all right. Could be worse. It worked out well. I think. But uh, what, what does this story have to do with today's miraculous rally or the endless rally? frankly everything everything and no one else is talking about it you see if you put me in charge right now of that hawl division at goldman sachs i'd say when rich people come to see you you have to tell them that they need to take less risk and preserve their wealth that means they need to own a lot fewer bonds and a lot more stocks yet this year we're witnessing the passing of the torch bonds were the safest assets back in 82 back when Treasuries yielded double digits now they're risky access, maybe riskier, riskier than anyone thinks. Sure, you only need to get rich once, but if you want to stay rich, the old chivalrous won't work anymore. The truth is, for many companies that we follow, the equity side is a much better, safer side, a much, much better repository of wealth for you, the individual, than the credit side. Not all of them, but a surprising number. Think about it. What's 25% of this market? It's the Microsofts, the Apples, the Facebooks, the Apples, right? They are sitting on more cash than most countries. Microsoft's got 138 billion. Google's got 133 billion. Apple's got 192 billion. Even the small Facebook has 55 billion. Collectively, they're richer than everybody. Think about it. They survived the Great Recession. And what happened? They came out stronger. The countries didn't. In the Great Pandemic, they're not just thriving, they're not, but they are actually putting up unbelievable numbers. The countries, they're hoping to survive. These guys are Thrive. They haven't been touched by our crazy presidential politics at all. It hasn't laid a glove on them. In fact, these big tech CEOs are so statesmanlike, they make most of our politicians look like they're from hell, Fredonia. To mix metaphors, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, fam, are the Fort Knoxes of our era. They'd be prime targets for Goldfinger, Although he'd he fail, of course, because Sean Connery, when we miss very greatly, Sean Connery's bond would stop him. No, I take that back. Forget bond, James Bond. From now on, it's stock, James stock, because these stocks are the new repositories of wealth. That said. It is a brand-new thesis, I admit that, even newer than the love affair with Bitcoin. You might dismiss it out of hand, but in a world where some mysterious figure creates an invisible currency and nobody knows where he lives, it's loved by the rich, I think you'd have to be nuts to consider equities as a second class to that, let alone bonds. Yeah, gold's got some luster, the gold miners are okay, but you know, and I like being able to feel bullion. That fits better than staring at a ledger. The real lesson, though, of this era, of this week, of this month, of this year, is that stocks are the ones that don't need government help here. Bonds do, the bottom line. That means if you're a young, wet behind the years broker at Goldman Sachs, I would tell you to forget all those bond ideas. Just tell your clients to buy the stocks of terrific companies with fantastic nation-state-sized balance sheets. You'll do much better with a heck of a lot less long-term risk and more dividends. The best way to look at it, you only need to get rich once. But you better own some stocks if you're going to stay rich. Go to Debbie in Georgia, please. Debbie. Hi,
2: Jim. How are you today? I
1: am good, Debbie. How about
2: you? (laughs) Very good. Uh, First, before I talk about a stock, I do want to say thank you so much for doing this show. The fact that you do it every day, day in and day out, as well as walk on the street. And all of the other things you do, I really don't know where you find your energy. <laughs> You're very but it gone. clearly comes
0: across that you generally want to help. You're very kind you I find my energy. I find <laughs> my energy,
1: Debbie, because people like you, nice person in Georgia, calling in, not asking about who takes what state and this or that which I don't care about, trying to make it so that you do better in real life. How can I help?
2: Okay. Anyway, um, so I bought a small online luxury consignment sock at seventeen dollars. Soon after it went public. It recently went down to 13 and this week it popped back up. Actually today it made it to 15, but it still hasn't even come back to where I bought it. Um, It reported a decent increase in earnings um, and is due to report again on Monday. I'm curious why this online retailer is not growing at the same rate as some other online retailers. Is it time for me to sell it on a pop, though it's at a loss and invest in something that has more potential? What do you think the real deal is on the real reel?
1: Real Real. Okay, well, my wife loves Real Real. She just got it. She was showing me she got a check for $24 from Real Real yesterday. She went to the bank for it. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm putting the cause of my $24 bank from Real Real, You know, whatever. I would say this. Uh, Real Real had some issues involving... Uh, uh, it's actually brought up by this network involving some reliability issues. Uh, Real Royals is just going to have to stay at it for a while. This is a period where a lot of people don't want to necessarily buy other people's clothes, that kind of thing. Uh, I believe in the model long term. I think you need faith, but it's not going to be easy. By the way, I felt the same way about Stitch Fix in the 20s. People laughed, and now that stock's at 37. Okay, let's go to Kevin in New Jersey. Kevin.
2: Hey, Jim. I want to talk to you about Thomson Reuters, symbol TRI. Sure. It's a company I don't hear much discussion about from analysts, but it's up nearly 80% in the past two years and just reported great Q3 earnings despite COVID. It's also set to benefit from the London Stock Exchange's purchase of Reventative in Q1 of 2021, which should hold the 45% stake in Reventative. I'm wondering what you thought about TR. I think it's, and the long-term it, prospects.
1: I like it. Look, I mean, we talk a lot about Square, which had a great number uh, for fintech. PayPal had a great number for fintech. I regard Thomson Reuters as an excellent fintech company, and it's really run well. I mean, I remember during some periods where it wasn't run as well, nearly as it is now, and uh, I think it's a great stock. all-time high today. Well played. Okay, investors are looking at equities beginning in a different way, and I'm telling you, this is I'm, Believe me, this repository of wealth theory, when you hear it from other people, remember, you heard it here first. And I am going to drill in your head that stocks are safer than bonds on May Money tonight. the right stocks. Americans are chowing down on pizza during the pandemic and Papa John's has the results to prove it. That's a very good example of what I'm talking about, by the way. you hear unbelievable numbers, great balance sheet. you sit down with the CEO, crunch the numbers with him. Then the presidential election may be making all the headlines. You may have missed that yesterday the U.S. reported the most COVID cases in a single day since the pandemic start. So I'm going to be focusing on the companies that are key to testing and telling you which ones are worth owning. And in 2020 alone, We've seen 17.2 million background checks for firearm sales. I'm talking totally with one of the largest bullet makers in the country, but the company does a lot more than just bullets on what he's seeing in terms of demand. Stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard business gold card. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: with covid infections hitting new records This is the right time to swap back into the pizza delivery trade. Take Papa John's. After the first wave of the pandemic hit, this stock more than tripled from its March lows to its highs a couple of months ago. However, over the course of September and October, Papa John's sold off hard. Part because the COVID winners went out of style. Part because their chief rival, Domino's, reported a suboptimal quarter. But this morning, Papa John's reported its own third quarter results, and the numbers were incredibly strong. The company delivered a solid top and bottom line beat. The only piece of hair on the quarter will get this. Domestic same-store sales only only grew by 23.8 while she was looking for 24%. Still, most restaurants would for, go for 20% right now. In response, the stock caught fire, jumped 8% today, taking it back to the low 80s. And now the next wave of pandemic is upon us. Sadly, I believe it's got a lot more upside. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Rob Lynch, the president and CEO of Papa John's International. Get a better read on the quarter and the future. Mr. Lynch, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Hi, Jim. Great to be here.
1: Rob, these were incredible numbers. And I have to, as an old journalist from the, from the the Times when I used to write stories, you buried the lead, my friend, in the conference call. You respond and to, to one of the questions and you say, we've added over 8 million new customers this year. How does an old company add 8 million new customers?
2: You know, we just keep cranking out great products and keep talking about them in a the way that makes people excited. I mean, we've rebuilt this innovation pipeline and, you know, I know you've tried our Papadillas and they're a huge hit. We just launched a cheeseburger Papadia. People are loving it. So when you create great food with better ingredients and you talk about it in a way that makes the food the hero, people tend to come.
1: Now, uh, the, it does not hurt that you also had the shakaroni. I have not had that yet, but that's apparently not doing well for both you and for Charity.
2: Yeah, I mean, chacaroni was a huge success for us. It's the first time that our system has ever launched anything like that. But it was a larger-than-life-size pizza with the biggest cuts we've ever launched. And we sold over $3 million of them, raised over $3 million for, for charitable giving. And, I mean, you know as well as I do, Jim, nobody. there's never been a time where there's been more charity needed than right now, and we're happy to be able to give back to our communities.
1: I think that's important. You were uh, gave the causes that fought racial injustice. Uh, You uh, support Boys and Girls Clubs of America, the United Negro College Fund. These are not idle gifts. These are leadership gifts that are changing what these organizations can do. Correct. Wow. You you gave me
2: goosebumps there, Jim. Yeah. I mean, we're really proud of being able to, to help out right now. There's a lot of people in need. There's a lot of things that that are happening where people need help and we're happy to do our part.
1: Now, when I looked at your balance sheet, you have so much room to do so many different things. I found myself thinking when I, when I first sat down with, with Domino's, uh, it, when, when Pat Doyle took, took, took over, he explained to me the economics of it. He said, you know what, if this, if this hums, you generate a huge amount of cash. You are generating a gigantic amount of cash. What is the next big move for Papa John's?
2: You know, we're we're just getting started, Jim. We're going to continue on with our strategic priorities. We're making big investments in our capabilities, including our technology platform. As you know, we're an e-commerce business. Seventy percent of our orders come in through digital channels. And so we're making big investments in technology. We believe that technology is going to be a bigger part of the business model moving forward. But we're also investing in our restaurants and in improving the productivity of our restaurants, which benefits both us and our corporate level as well as our franchisees. And every great franchise organization is great because of its franchisees. So the more money we can make our franchisees, the better we're going to be long term. And they're going to start investing that capital back into our system and opening new restaurants.
1: Now, is anyone ever worried that there are too many pizza places? I mean, you're talking about opening a thousand net new restaurants over the next five years. I mean, is there a saturation issue?
2: You know, we are a global business. We operate in 48 countries. Our our competitors operate in almost double that. So we have a huge amount of white space internationally in markets like Japan and Australia and most of of Europe. So we have a great global footprint with a supply chain and a distribution network that's ready to, to scale. We just need the franchisees. We've been working on that over the last year. And we're really excited about the growth opportunities that those 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 white spaces present
1: to us. Well, you also do something a little iconoclastic. Uh, you did an HB restaurant. I know this because I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, this is a uh, you, you signed the largest tra- traditional store development agreement in North America in over 20 years. Why go that way?
2: Well, there's a, there's a lot of excitement right now around getting into the pizza business, as you called out. You know, pizza we talk about as being pandemic proof. Uh, the more people are staying at home, the more they're going to need us to, to help them out. And, and we're happy to serve our community. So franchisees right now that belong to other types of systems that have been impacted by the by the pandemic and see this as a, an ongoing situation. They want to invest in the in the in the in the brand. They want to invest and in we're we have the most white space of any of the major players in the pizza industry.
1: And once again, I want to remind people who don't know your brand. And I had to learn this when I met Shaq, the number of ingredients in uh, one of your pizzas.
2: Our dough has six ingredients: no artificial colors, no artificial flavors. When you know we, when this company started, it was a foundational principle that we were going to have better ingredients to deliver better pizzas, and we stayed true to that the whole way. We it cost us a little bit more for our ingredients, but we put that in, and we feel like that's a differentiator for us in this industry.
1: And you still have, even after the expense, you've got plenty of money for technology to keep up with that other company that comes on and tells me all the time there are technology coming that makes pizzas.
2: Yeah. Well, we're a pizza company that leverages technology. So that's our little twist on that.
1: Well, wow. and, and, and I, I only kid them. They do them both. Are, you guys are able competitors. And there's obviously I have nothing but respect for those guys. Uh, and Jim. they do of you, too. And there's a lot of room for you to run. Thank you so much to Rob Lynch, president and CEO of Papa John's Pizza. Congratulations on that great quarter, sir. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Guys, this is a great business. Whether it was a pandemic or not, it's always been a great business. Remember, there's not that that much that goes into a pizza, but there's innovation, there's technology, and there's management. These guys are on fire. I like Papa John's. Stick with Kramer. And welcome back. It's peanut buttery. It's chocolatey. It's the flavor merger America craved. That's right. The Peanut Butter Group and Chocolatey Corp have become one. With Chocolatey Corp bringing indulgence to the table and Peanut Butter's eat-anytime ability, it's easy to see how their Jif peanut butter and chocolate-flavored spread will revolutionize snacking. One stock trader even told me, and I quote, Normally I just buy and sell, but this I'm going to eat. Experience the Jif PBC hype today.
2: Hey, I'm Ruben. My band and I have a new song. I'm also a tow truck driver. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I get to go home at the end of the day and see my bandmates.
1: When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for
0: moving over and slowing down.
1: Now, we've just gotten word that President Trump will be speaking at around 6.30. So we're going to bring that to you as soon as we see him. Yesterday, we reached a grim milestone in this country. hundred and three thousand new covid infections, a new record. Deaths are surging up one thousand one hundred sixteen in a single day. Twenty one states set weekly covid-19 records. The pandemic is once again out of control. But and this is a big but we're finally getting our act together on testing. According to the COVID-19 Tracking Project, we've conducted 150 million tests cumulatively since the pandemic began. In fact, we've been averaging more than a million tests per day since late September. Did yesterday and hit 1.25 million? That's huge, although we need even more given these hideous case numbers. Still, massive testing is just one of the first steps to contain the outbreak, which is why tonight I want to talk about the companies that are making this possible. We always knew COVID testing would be a big business. But I had no idea it would be this big. The amount of money here is staggering. By the way, the companies didn't realize it would be this big either. So who's cleaning up on the testing front? And what's the best ways to invest in it? Well, first, got to start with Thermo Fisher. Now, that's TMO. Since CEO Mark Casper came on just the other day, he told us some very encouraging things, and we've got to go through them. Thermo Fisher was among the first companies to get approval for a COVID-19 test back in March. You know, they're now making 20 million test kits per week, and these kits run on their massive installed base of lab equipment. In August, the company rolled out a new high-throughput diagnostic machine, it's called Amplitude, that can process a staggering 8,000 tests per day with very few technicians, which matters because processing tests have become a major bottleneck. You string eight of those machines together in Tampa Bay come February, and you might have a COVID-free packed house Super Bowl. Thermo Fisher is also working on a new pool testing kit. It's a more cost-effective way to spot COVID flare-ups in large populations, like schools or office buildings. If you get big pool specimens together and there isn't a positive one among them, then you are spared the individual much more costly test. They're also working on a dual COVID-19 and flu PCR test, which I guess we're going to need However, the most important part of this story is actually the most boring part. Thermo Fisher is a leading maker of test supplies and components. Think reagents, safety gear, even the specialized plastics for specimen containers. By the way, they're also what we consider to be a major arms dealer to the vaccine industry. Now, we know Thermo Fisher's business is on fire because they reported a magnificent quarter last month. We're talking about almost a billion-dollar revenue beat. That's extraordinary, with 34% organic growth off the charts and $5.63 of earnings per share. Wall Street was only looking for $4.33. Free cash flow came in well ahead of expectations, and the guidance for next quarter was terrific. Staggering. On the conference call, Mark Casper said that the company generated roughly $2 billion of COVID-19 related sales, although that also includes supplying drug and vaccine developers. Now, we know the special diagnostics division made $1.43 billion. The analysts only expected a little over $1 billion. You don't get these kinds of beats without just amazing things happening here. The only problem? Yes, the stock's had a remarkable run. It's up roughly 59% for the year, including a 40-point gain over the past week. On the other hand, though, let's take it if we step back for a second. Long-term, it's up 1,652% over the last 20 years versus a piddling 145% gain in the S&P 500 of the same period. As much as I hate to chase, I think it's worth buying into any kind of pullback. Next up, Hologic. Yes, Hologic reported a blowout quarter this very morning. Here's a diagnostics and medical imaging play that we used to associate just with women's health, breast cancer, cervical cancer. However, this March, Hologic came up with a COVID-19 PCR, remember that's the gold standard, PCR test, and this is now a very serious business line for them. In May, they got approval for another one they can produce even faster. We already knew Hologic was in great shape after they delivered an excellent quarter in July and raised their forecast, but even that bullish guidance turned out to be way too conservative. This morning, the company posted a huge top and bottom line beat, I mean, just extraordinary, with a much higher than anticipated forecast for the next quarter, too. Listen to what CEO Stephen McMillan had to say on the conference call. In the fourth quarter alone, we produced more than 50 million total molecular diagnostics tests. This included about 25 million COVID tests that we provided to customers, an average of roughly 2 million per week. This means that we sold more COVID tests this quarter than we had ever produced of of all our molecular tests in a quarter. These guys ramped up in an incredible fashion. I guess this stock has moved up too much. Well, I don't know. It's up, but like, like Thermo, it's up up a lot. It's up 45% for the year. But you know, when you put pen to paper, you look at the new estimates here. Dude, the stock's only traded 12 times next year's earnings. 12. I give you permission to start nibbling on it tomorrow. What else? All right, let's not forget the dean of testing. That's Abbott Labs. That's the best-of-breed medical device company that's become a dominant player in COVID testing when often talked about by the press in the United States. They've got molecular tests. They've got antibody tests. They've got a rapid point-of-care test, and that one takes 15 minutes. Best of all, in August, they launched a rapid antigen test. So people feel it's not as good as a molecular antigen. It's called Binax Now. This is a $5 test. It's, it's got a linked smartphone app. It looks like the size of a, of a credit card. The app I have on my my cell phone is called Navica. I think this could be the backbone of a national testing strategy. You get your test. If it comes back negative, the app is your passport to indoor dining or air travel. The only issue with these ultra-fast tests is that the government keeps buying up all the supply. Of course, from Abbott's perspective, that is a high-quality problem. And you do hear carping that it's not as accurate. It's never going to be as accurate as the PCR. The PCR is the gold standard. When the company reported a couple weeks ago, we learned their diagnosis uh, segment was up 39% just versus the previous quarter. said they sold 100 million total tests, and they left the quarter with a run rate of 1.3 to 1.4 billion in COVID testing sales. Now, I've been telling you to buy this one for ages, and while it's rocketed 8% this week alone, I think you stick with it, as we have for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I like Abbott a lot. How about the smaller players? We got Perkin Elmer. We featured them. That's a $15 billion company that I like to think of as a baby thermo fisher. I don't think they like that, though. This stock's been a huge long-term winner for us. And, and, you know, they've now got an entire suite of COVID tests, including ones that they claim are the most sensitive on the market. Perkin Elmer shot the lights out when reported last month. uh, But the stock hit a new high today. Uh, Maybe now you want to wait for a pullback. Next up. Cadell. Now, this one's a smaller, lesser-known diagnosis play. Two PCR tests, two rapid antigen tests. The antigen tests, once again, are less accurate. Now, Cadell's competing directly against Habit Labs here. But seeing as we still have a shortage of testing, competition really is not much of a problem. However, the stock's up 275% for the year, and it's been a wild trader. Why not let it cool down a little, especially after a very negative article that just appeared in the New York Times that questioned the efficacy of one of its rapid tests? I didn't like that. We've got Fluidigm. That's a tiny, ultra-speculative life sciences play with a six-and-change dollar stock. Fluidigm has an extraction-free spit test for COVID. And while it may be less accurate than a true PCR test, at least you don't have to have a Q-tip stuck up your nostril so far to pokes your brain. While the stock's up 95% for the year, it's still a long way from its all-time highs for over the summer. This thing was briefly at $12.45 in August. Fluidigm, I don't know, kind of feels too risky for me. But if you want something to speculate on, it's worth looking into. Finally, please don't forget the commercial laboratories, and there are two of them, LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics. They, they process so many of these tests. These companies are practically printing money right now because they're pretty much a duopoly. They've had to add thousands of people. That's actually been a serious problem in terms of coping for the pandemic. They've been a bottleneck. But it's also great for LabCorp and Quest shareholders. They're doing the best they can. Both stocks remain cheap. is doing a fantastic job, by the way, getting a name as the nation's best personal test company where you do COVID tests by mail with incredibly fast turnarounds. I use them. The bottom line, with COVID spiking and a very good chance that Joe Biden wins the White House, ushering in a more test-friendly administration, I bet the testing stocks have a lot more room to run. Let's go to Saul in Massachusetts. Saul. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, Thank you for everything you're doing for us as small investor, My question is regarding AbbVie, mm-hmm. A-B-B-V. Of course. Um, there's been a lot of volatility. It dropped a lot. Um, the results came out. It's gone up. Um, would you buy to these levels? Okay, now here's the problem. The, this stock was uh, it went up 10 points this week. Now, it, look, it reported a fantastic quarter, okay? Uh, this is the merged Allergan. It was just dynamite. And everybody hated it. I put out a piece on uh, Action Alerts. and did a call on it. Say, listen, this is it. I mean, you're not going to get a better chance to get this thing. And then it went down again, for heaven's sake. And, I, and others got discouraged. We doubled down and bought even more for the club. And now it's just moved up 10 points, I think, Frankly, you know what you got to do? You got to wait for it to come down just a couple of bucks. Ten straight bucks for a stock like Abbey is not right. So anyway, that's my thinking on that stock. All right, now for another idea. This one's really going to shock you, and it's a lot different from testing. I want to talk about General Motors. General Motors, yes, the stock, and it's back. And while it may not be better than ever, it's better than it's been in a long time. You better sit down for this piece. Because I've never said a good word about this company. You know, like many Americans, I've just kind of given up on GM. They've made so many missteps and failed to live up to lowered expectations for so long that I put the stock on a permanent do-not-buy list. Right now, we've got an incredible bull market in the auto industry. But until three weeks ago, I was reluctant to recommend General Motors. I was recommending every other parts, Carvana. It didn't matter. they like Lithia. But not GM. Not GM. But then I had an epiphany, totally unrelated to the stock market, often the best kind. See, my wife is about to have one of those big milestone birthdays that you're not allowed to mention. A girl's woman's name, age, but you um, name, yes. But, but uh, normally we would have had a big surprise party for that milestone. Well, COVID took that off the table. Since we couldn't have a huge party, she wanted a huge birthday present. Hmm. So three weeks ago, she called me over. I was watching football. I put on her Mac, She said, open your mind. Do not be prejudiced. Let me show you something that might be an excellent gift. Oh, man, I braced myself. Must be some real expensive jewelry, right? No. It was a short film of a, of a Hummer, a GM product, the Hummer, winding its way through an impassable road. I watched the clip. They asked her to, re- to rerun it to see the crab walk thing again. Go Google a uh, Hummer crab walk. Uh, this thing, it, it, it can move diagonally. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Still, I have my doubts, and certainly with that price tag, I should have. I said to her, what are you going to do if it only gets eight miles to gallon? She shook her head. She raised her eyebrows. Uh, My husband, it's electric, Jim. My head almost exploded. Now, I'm not a car guy, but my wife is. One of her happiest moments was test driving a gorgeous Lamborghini Urus at 180 miles an hour all over Modena. It's Italy, by the way. She likes nothing more than the tool round in our 1994 Defender. It's her favorite, and now this—a Hummer. As soon as she stepped away, I went to the website to order one. Didn't even bother to look at the price. Hmm. But they were sold out. Lisa grabbed the computer from me. Spent the next half hour trying to get in. Kept trying. I said, "It was hopeless." But you know what's not hopeless? General Motors. I have consistently worn people away from this stock ever since this show started 15 years ago. I didn't like the old GM before its bankruptcy. And I have much like the new GM post bankruptcy, the one that suspended its 38-cent dividend back in April. I don't like those companies that cut dividends. However, that new Hummer is very compelling, and the auto industry is on fire thanks to the COVID-driven exodus from the cities to the suburbs. So when GM reported this morning, instead of just being putting it aside and maybe listening to it tonight, I listened immediately. And I got to tell you, I'm glad I did. Wow. What I heard was very bullish. GM's making a ton of money. It has an incredible SUV lineup, taking market share. It's more deeply involved in EV, electric vehicles, hydrogen fuel cells, anything, anything that's alternative than you would ever think. On top of that, GM's Chinese business, it's booming. Inventory's lean. Balance sheet, radically better. Dividend could be restarted soon. Discounting. You kidding me? They're selling cars at full price. Making tons of money on many product lines, including, yes, the Hummer. Best of all, though, there's a catalyst. On November 19th, write that down, November 19th, GM reveals its electric portfolio at the Barclays Global Automotive Conference. This, my friends, is a catalyst. If they tell you a bullish story, I expect much more upside, even for today's more than 5% run, when you consider how much investors are willing to pay for electric vehicles anywhere. Look at Neo, NIO, okay, often considered the Chinese Tesla, and now is a larger market cap than General Motors. There was another Chinese, I, I, there, there's so many of them now, and they all go up, and what they do is they go up. What do you do? Well, we go up, okay? Now, I think that this could happen. Not like Neo, but it could be a real catalyst, that conference. Don't forget, my wife is the reason I recommended Tesla last fall, and that stock's been a rocket ship. Now she likes GM's lineup, and so do I. Uh, oh, the birthday? I got, a, I got away with taking her to a Den. That's best restaurant in New York, Eric Repair. Cheaper than a Hummer for certain, but from the looks of the video, not as much fun. Let's take some calls. Why don't we go to Joe in North Carolina? Joe! Joe. Joe. How about we go to. Oh, I don't know who might be next. I'll take it. You know what? Why don't we go to Jacob rather than just stand here looking completely idiotic? I say, Jacob. Booyah, Jimmy. Chill. How you doing tonight? I'm chilling and grilling at this point. What's going on? Hey, it's an honor to talk to you tonight. And I wanted to ask your opinion on
2: Rocket Company's ticker sign RKT. Now, I picked some up last week between the 17 to 18 range, and I think it's going to be a great play going into their November 10th earning call due to their low interest rates and an increase in mortgage applications. I want to know, Jim, how you you playing this stock? It's a very well-run company. I've known
1: these guys for a long time. They're much better lenders than traditional lenders in terms of, of defaults. Uh, if you think that rates are going to stay low, and we're going to continue to have this exodus from the uh, city uh, to the suburbs, as I do, uh, and if you think that Joe Biden is going to become president, and there's going to be a wave of immigration, then this might be a perfect stock to own. I repeat, a perfect stock to own. Let's go to Jim in California. Jim.
2: Hey, Jim. Good to talk with you. Awesome to, to actually get
1: your advice live. Wow, this is awesome. Terrific. Hey, Jim, Happy to talk to you. you got a lot of those. Yeah, I love you, man. you got a lot of those blue shirts that you wear all the time. Well, I wonder you know, what, okay, so hey, look, please. this morning I get up, and there's two pinks. I saw I read the I wore the pink yesterday, and then there was like a light purple, and I said I'd done purple, so, and I read blue, and then I realized when I got in that I'd worn blue every single day this week, and the days had all blended, so you're absolutely right, my friend, what's going on? Oh, a good sartorial lesson there. Uh, so, these are thir- 32 waist, 30 length, Brioni, I don't know, maybe we should take some more calls, or I can, this is Apple Watch, by the way, I used, I used to wear one, this is a, Oh, no, I don't want to go, man. I, I haven't even gotten into the point of discussing this great Hermes tie. But you know what? Stick with Kramer. All right, we're still monitoring the president. You know, we're going to bring it to you as soon as it begins. But now it is time, and it's time for the lightning round. What's What's up? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy. Time the lightning round. We're start with Jim in California. Jim. Hey, buddy. Sorry, I was on the at line, not the Verizon line, but I wanted to ask you about DocuSign. Dr. Sign's a winner, my friend. Doc, sign is a fintech winner in an era where we're not done buying homes. And it's the way that people are going to do business from now on after the pandemic. It's too cheap. It's too inexpensive. Oh, geez. You know what? We're going right now like to, to the president of the United States. The American people with an update. on Today's top story, the flavor merger of the century between the peanut butter group and Chocolatey Corp. Joining me is a PBC executive.
0: Thanks for having me, Barry.
1: Now, how did you know the merger and the byproduct of it, Jif peanut butter and chocolate-flavored spread, would be a success?
0: You know, it was a gut feeling. uh, A rumbling, if you will. Besides, they're two titans of taste.
1: Very true. Goes great with pretzels.
0: And pancakes.
1: Apples, too, I bet. Try Jif PBC today.